Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So, who would you rather be? Isaiah or Simon? Let me put it a different way. Which of the two experiences would you rather have had? Isaiah's vision of being in the presence of the Lord God Almighty on His throne in the temple, as we heard about in the Old Testament lesson for today. Or Simon's encounter with the Lord on the shoreline of the lake, which was recorded in our Gospel lesson. Both would have been amazing experiences, no doubt. For Isaiah, the setting was something completely out of the ordinary. Angels and smoke and voices shaking the very foundation of the structure in which he found himself. Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord, His power and His majesty and His wonder. Simon, on the other hand, was in very familiar surroundings, surrounded by ordinary people. He was just doing his regular job, really, cleaning the nets with his business partners after a long and a fruitless night of catching nothing but empty water. No doubt tired and frustrated, Simon does Jesus the favor of letting him use his boat as a sort of floating pulpit from which to instruct the crowds. For all we know, Simon continued on with his washing and mending task on his nets while only half listening to Jesus. When Jesus finishes speaking to the people, this man thought to be a carpenter's son from landlocked Nazareth gives this experienced mariner some fishing advice. Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. It almost makes me wonder if perhaps Simon snuck a glance over at James and John and rolled his eyes before replying, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Were the other fishermen snickering all the while? What does this landlubber know about fishing anyway? Simon's probably just humoring him. He'll end up looking foolish and maybe he won't annoy us with useless suggestions about fishing anymore. But it didn't turn out that way, did it? Instead of coming back to shore empty-handed and chuckling at Jesus' naivete, Simon and the others are confronted by something truly miraculous, more, than, more of God's bounty than they possibly ever could have imagined, a blessing of a catch of fish far beyond their capacity to, to handle it. Pretty exciting stuff, both of these experiences. Wouldn't it have been awesome to be in Isaiah's shoes or in Simon's shoes? Before we get all giddy with delight, however, maybe we need to take a deep breath and think things through for a moment. Our generations seem to throw around the word awesome rather casually, don't we? We use it primarily as an expression of excitement or approval when we see or we hear something very pleasant, like an awesome football play or an awesome car or an awesome concert. 
We often forget that the true meaning of the word awesome relates to encountering something, encountering something that leaves us in awe, in a sense of our own inadequacy in relation to our experience. And that's the sort of awe that Simon and Isaiah felt as they came face to face with the living God. That's where, despite the radical difference in their time frames and their experiences, Isaiah's vision and Simon's catch of fish come to an intersection. Both of these men are struck with fear. They're terrified even at being in the presence of the Lord and with good reason. They, like all of us, were sinful people. The unrighteous cannot bear to be in the presence of God's holiness, for His perfection is too great for us. We would be destroyed. Isaiah cowers in fear as he cries out, Woe to me! I am ruined! He has seen God, and he knows full well that no one sinful can stand in the full presence of God's glory and live. Peter, too, asks the Lord to leave him, for he is a sinful man. Amazed as they were at having seen God, these men have the same reaction that many others have had when they are confronted by the great disparity between God's perfect righteousness and their own stain of sin. Adam and Eve hid from God, knowing that they had sinned. Moses hid his face from the burning bush, for he was afraid to look at God. The Israelites retreated from Sinai because they didn't want to be in the presence of Yahweh. Job, after he'd gotten perhaps a little too comfortable and a little too familiar in conversing with God, was quickly put back in his place too. And Saul of Tarsus, soon to be called to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, fell to the ground on the road to Damascus when the risen Savior appeared to him. The presence of the holy God is and should be terrifying to all of those who are not holy, that is, to all who are sinful. That includes you and me. The holiness that we need in order to come into His presence is something that only He can provide to us. It cannot originate with us or within us, for we are corrupt, we are filthy with sin. No matter how hard we might try, we can't wash it off and we can't work it off. In fact, any attempt that we might make to do this is actually an insult to God. All of our efforts would only make us more sinful because we are then attempting to make a liar out of God. He has told us that there is no one righteous, not one. He has told us we are dead in our trespasses. We should then have the same reactions as Isaiah and Simon. We are unclean. We are sinful. We ought not be in the Lord's presence for fear of being destroyed. The Lord didn't destroy Isaiah, though, did He? He sent a messenger with a burning coal from the altar of sacrifice, a prefigure of the hellish torment and death of His Son, and touched its fire to Isaiah's lips. Miraculously, Isaiah wasn't seared by the heat. Instead, Isaiah was cleansed. He was relieved of his guilt. His sin was paid for 
by the scalding wounds instead suffered by Christ. And the Lord Jesus didn't destroy Simon Peter either. Instead, He spoke words of comfort, words that were often given and told to fearful people when they come into close proximity with the heavenly. Fear not, or don't be afraid. They're words of forgiveness, direct from the mouth of the Lord. For only if Peter has been made holy can he be free of fear in the presence of the Almighty God. Only God can provide the true and the certain assurance that we have nothing to fear. Because of His great love for us, God doesn't destroy us when we come into His holy presence either. We regularly witness His awesome miracles of power and creation and life. That even though we are unclean like Isaiah, even though we are sinful men and women like Simon Peter, and we ought to flee from God's presence, God uses His Holy Spirit to instead draw us closer. He moves us from the proper terror at our well-deserved punishment and death toward repentance and then to a sure and certain hope of forgiveness and life. God does this for the sake of His Son Jesus, who suffered and died for an unclean sinner like me, for an unclean sinner like you. There's something else that you and I share with Isaiah and with Simon Peter as well. Note that God called these men into His service only after they had first experienced the terror of their own sin and then had been given relief and joy and peace of forgiveness and reconciliation. Only after the burning coal had touched Isaiah's unclean lips and taken away the guilt of his sin is he restored to fellowship with God. It is then that he can hear. Then he can willingly respond to God's call to proclaim his word of repentance to others. Only after Jesus has told Peter that he need not be fearful does Peter also receive the call to follow Jesus. Only then does Peter begin the process of being trained and equipped to speak to others as a witness to the life and death and resurrection of his Lord and Savior. Peter just like Isaiah, just like you and me, is moved from a state of terror to a state of comfort to a state of service to both God and neighbor. All, all faithful servants of God begin their own ministry or their own service in having gone through the terror of their own sin. Without having experienced this, we cannot possibly grasp the wonder and the power and the miracle of our salvation. You and I were saved the same way as Isaiah, the same way as Peter, the same and the only way that anyone can be saved, through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have this salvation as our present possession. Yes, it's true, it is not fully apprehended or fully comprehended in this life. But through God's gifts of word and sacrament, we are given regular glimpses of our heavenly destiny. There we meet God in His miraculous work in us and for us. Miracles in which we come into His holy presence. Miracles in which we are both terrorized and cleansed, crushed and then restored. At His font, 
from His pulpit, at His altar, and in His holy Scriptures. He works that miracle in us each week, each day, even each hour. In us, through us, and by us, He also works to reach others as well. In our words, in our behavior, our work on behalf of His church, through our tithes and our offerings and our gifts to the furtherance of His kingdom. Some are called to serve the Gospel on a full-time basis. Most others remain engaged in other vocations. Yet all are still called to proclaim and to support the proclamation of that same Gospel, the one Gospel of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. God's only begotten Son, incarnate in order to suffer and die and to rise again for the salvation of all whom He would call to faith. We answer His voice that calls, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? We are not afraid when He tells us that we too are to be fishers of men. Instead, we do this in confidence and in joy. The terror of our sins and of our sinfulness is no longer a barrier or a wedge between us and a holy God. We go forth with the sweet words of His Gospel echoing in our ears. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. In the name of your Redeemer, Jesus Christ, Amen.